0: Well, how many of you brought your Bible tonight? Will you hold up the Bible all over the building? I want to ask you to join me in the last book of the Bible tonight, Revelation chapter 19. And we'll use this kind of just a springboard uh, to get to the message tonight. Revelation chapter 19, page 1348, if you have an old Scofield Bible. And I hope you'll uh, join me there, and I'll read some here in just a moment. Uh, while you're finding your place there, I want to encourage you to reach out to people. You know, we still got folks that hadn't come back because of COVID yet. And uh, so I hate to be pessimistic and think they ain't never coming back. So I'm going to be optimistic. I'm going to say, maybe if we'd reach out to them, maybe they'd come back. And uh, so I hope you'll help me over the weekend. Let's text people. Uh, I've got, I've wore so many people out I think texting them now. They don't even answer me back no more. I mean, it's like, oh Lord, must be Saturday night. The preacher's texting me. So, uh, but let's reach out. Hey, one thing I want them to know we love them. We care about them and we miss so. Awesome. And uh, they can't say that somebody don't care about them. Help me. I mean, you know folks that I don't know. Uh, maybe I've missed over, hadn't seen them in a while, whatever. And you know the old saying, out of sight, out of mind. And I hate to even say it like that. Sometimes that's just the way it works. So uh, help me, if you will. Reach out to people over the weekend. Maybe somebody in your Sunday school class, whatever, you haven't seen recently. Let's do our best to try to let them know we do care here at church about them. And we would love to see them come back to the house of God. So help Help me with that if you will. I'd appreciate that much. Then pray for the Lord's Day. Pray for a good day, safety on the buses and Sunday school, and just pray for God's protecting hand to stay upon our church. All right, Revelation chapter 19. If you're there, would you say amen? Amen. All right, let's pray. We'll get started. Father, bless your word tonight. Thank you for the good singing that we've heard tonight. Thank you for letting us be together Wednesday night. Fellowshipping. Thank you for people who still show up at church and feel like and believe that Wednesday night service is important God, these folks, in a real way, gave a testimony when they left their driveway heading to church. They let those folks in their neighborhood know they feel like church is important on Wednesday night. God, in a real sense, I guess we witness as we uh, head out of our driveways and head to church, we let folks know whose side we're on. And I'm so glad to be on your side, but more importantly, I'm so thankful, Lord, that, uh, that uh, you're on my side. It's good to be saved, and I love you. Help me tonight as I try to preach. Bless all that's going on the other side of the building, the big team meeting. God bless the preaching over there tonight, Uh, all the master's clubs, the young people. I pray this will be a good night over there, and then help us with something in here that might encourage our hearts and teach us something from the Bible, I pray, that'll help us. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you've been with us uh, over the last how many ever Wednesday nights, then you will recall that we are currently in a series of messages that I've entitled, Bible Words That Every Child of God Should Know. Obviously, this is a series of messages based upon uh, certain words of the Bible emphasizing certain important words of the Bible. You know, as as we live out these last days, as Miss Lisa was singing about that a moment ago, boy, we need to be familiar with our Bible. It amazes me how many people have been saved for years and years and years, and still they don't know what is, or as the case may be, what is not found in the Bible. One of the reasons I believe cults are growing by leaps and bounds is because so many people that sit in church don't understand the Bible. I mean, they pick it up maybe when they come to church on Sunday morning and put it back on the shelf when they get home, and the Bible is just not something they engage in every day of their life. Well, it is highly important for us to know the Word of God. Don't ever come to church... And just say I'm gonna sift this one out. Don't ever come to church and tune the preaching out. The preaching of God's word will not only save your soul, but if you'll listen to it, it'll save your life as well. And so I want to encourage you when you come to church, if you got ears, how many of y'all got ears tonight? You remember that any man hath ears, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. Got your ears on? If you got them on, listen up. I trust the Lord will have something here in our text tonight. Now I got it. Again, let me just say, I understand the Bible's not written, wasn't written in the English language. I get all that. I know the Old Testament was written in Hebrews with the, exe- Hebrew with the exception of maybe a couple of chapters in the book of Daniel. I know the New Testament was written in the Greek language. I get that. But for an outline, to, for me to introduce these words to you, we're actually using our English alphabet. Many weeks ago, many months ago now, we started with the letter A. And last week we've come all the way down to the letter N. And we looked at some good words in our Bible last week that began with the letter N. We talked about the word never. Boy, we looked at some of the nevers of Jesus. Boy, what uh, the Bible said, I give unto them eternal life and they shall never. Boy, that's a good Bible word. Never perish. Neither shall any man. Jesus said, he that cometh unto me shall never hunger. He that believeth on me shall never. Good never words uh, never verses in our Bible. Then we looked at the word nothing. No thing. It is certain we brought nothing into this world. It's certain we can carry nothing out of this world. Good by Jesus said, without me, you can do nothing. What about that good verse? If the salt have lost its savor, it's thenceforth good for nothing. We looked at the word nothing, the word never. We looked at the word new. Boy, there's a lot of good uh, Bible verses that begin or have the letter new in it, N-E-W. Then we looked at the word neglect. Now, tonight, we're all the way down to the 15th letter in our alphabet. We're all the way down to the letter O. And tonight, we're going to be looking at some of the O words in our Bible that are important for us as God's people to understand. Now, we know, and I hope I'm right about this because I missed one last week, But I think, if I'm right, and I've tried to double-check because I'm afraid now, but uh, we have only one book in our Bible that begins with the letter O, and that is an Old Testament book. Now, we know in our Bible, we have five books in our Bible that consist of only one chapter. I guess we could call them... God's postcards. We have 2nd and 3rd John. We have the little book of Jude and we have the book of Philemon. All of those are in the New Testament. But we have one little book in our Old Testament, in the minor prophet section of our Old Testament, and it begins with the letter O, and it's the book of Obadiah. Obadiah. Now, if you've ever read that book, and I know you have, but sometimes you read it, you don't get it, but Obadiah was written as God is pronouncing judgment upon the Edomites. You say, the Edom who? That's right, the Edomites. The Edomites were the first cousins of the Israelites. And yet in that book, what God told Abraham and promised to Abraham centuries before, God is fulfilling that promise in the book of Obadiah because God said concerning the seed of Abraham, which we know is the name of Israel. I'll bless them that bless thee, and I'll curse him that curseth thee. Them Edomites for the long time, even though they're first cousins. Everybody's got family, don't they? They were first cousins to the Israelites, and yet when the Babylonians attacked the city of Jerusalem, guess who cheered them on? You got it. The first cousins, the Edomites. In fact, they not only cheered them on as they attacked Jerusalem and carried off the precious things of the house of God, they even, according to the book of Obadiah, they even turned into the Babylonians where some of the Jews were. And boy, God is pronouncing judgment. Uh, they laughed at them, and God is pronouncing judgment upon them because God said, I'll bless them that bless Israel. Boy, I wish our nation knew that today. I'll curse him. I'm telling you, we're done if we ever, uh, if we ever turn our backs on the nation of Israel. We are Fini. We're done. Stick us in the freezer, cut the light out, stick a fork in us, we are done. That's what the book of Obadiah is about. What a great book in our Bible. Now, as far as some of the more prominent people in our Bible, whose name begins with the letter O, I guess one of the most familiar of these people, especially the Old Testament, is an old boy by the name of Obed. Obed. You say, Oh, who? Yeah, right, Obed. Obed. You say, who is Obed? He was the son of Boaz and Ruth. Boaz, a type of Christ. Ruth, the is a type of the, of the sinner, a type of the church. And watch this. Obed's name means worship. And when Jesus and saved sinners get together, they ought to be a little worship born. Yes, sir. Obed means worship. Obed was the uh, daddy of Jesse... He was the grandpa of King David, an important man in our Bible, Obed. And then there's another old boy in our Old Testament. I love this boy. His name is Obed-Edom. Obed-Edom. Let me tell you who he was. you remember when David was trying to move the ark back to the city of Jerusalem? And, uh, he used them Philistine methods. You know, God said that thing was supposed to be transported by the Kohathites, sliding the staves in. They picked it up and bore it on their shoulders and carried that ark around. That's the only, that's the only way God said that ark could be transported. Well, David tried to copy Philistine methods to move that ark. You can never, ever please God in the work of God if you use the world's ways in trying to accomplish God's plan. Can I have an amen? And he grabbed an old cart and some oxen and slid that just like like the Felicity. by the way, God let them buy with it because they didn't have better sense. But David knew. David knew the Bible, and for those of us who know our Bibles, there's a heavier there's a heavier weight upon us because we know we have the light of God's word. And David tried to use all worldly methods to do the work of God. You remember the story of Uzzah, one of his good soldiers. The of the oxen stumbled. The ark started to fall off the wagon. Uzzah reached up and pushed it back on him. When he did, God killed that boy. David got afraid. David said, we ain't moving this thing no farther. And they carried it to the house of Obed-Edom. And did you know something? For three months it sat in his house, and God, the Bible said, greatly blessed the house of Obed-Edom. And can I tell you something? Obed-Edom loved to be around that ark so much that every other time you read about him in the Bible, he is always somewhere around the ark of God. But when you get in God's presence, I'm telling you, this old dead, dry, plucked up by the roots kind of stuff, it's not going to satisfy you. But when you get around the presence of God, I'll tell you what, you want to hang around there. Obed. And then there's an old boy in our Old Testament by the name of Othanel. He was the first judge that Israel ever had. He judged Israel for 40 years. There's Ornon, the Jebusite. David brought some property from him uh, to to build an altar to stay the judgment of God after David numbered the people of Israel. Old Testament. Old people. In the New Testament, we find there are several other people whose names begin with the letter O. There's Olympus. He's mentioned in Romans 16 15. A believer in the church at Rome. There's Onesiphorus. Onesiphorus. Oh, I can't just pass over that old boy. He's a good man. Onesiphorus. He's a good man who loved the Lord and loved the Apostle Paul and was a great blessing to him. Let me read you what the Bible said about Onesiphorus. The Lord give mercy unto the house of Onesiphorus. For he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chain. That word refreshed is where we get our English word paragoric from. Y'all remember when you was growing up, when you got the bellyache? I don't know what's happened to that stuff. It's probably been outlawed now because it actually works. But anyway, uh, when you got the ache when you was a kid, your mama would give you some paragoric. Remember that? And it, and it soothed you. Paul said he often soothed. He often, he was my paragoric. When I got tore up, that old Onesiphorus, he refreshed me. And he was not ashamed of my chain. Paul said he minister. He's a good man. But probably, probably one of the most famous people in our New Testament with an O name is Onesimus. You remember the book of Philemon? And old Philemon had a slave, a servant by the name of Onesimus, and he stole something from Philemon, hightailed it to Rome, got in trouble again, got through in jail with the apostle Paul. Guess what Paul did? Paul told him about Jesus. Onesimus got saved, and Paul sent him back to Philemon. That's what that little book is about. Sent him back over there. And he said, hey, if he hath wronged thee or oweth thee aught, just put that on my account. He said, accept him. As you would me. Isn't that just like Jesus? Jesus said, hey, Father, if he's wronged you or Oath the alt, just put that on the account of Calvary. And God received him. By the way, isn't it amazing that some of these days God is going to receive us just like he receives Jesus? Oh, brother, oh, Nesimus. And not to shirk the ladies, but here's what I found. There is only one lady in our whole Bible that her name starts with O. Her name, Orpha. Now, not Oprah. God help us. Oprah's not in the Bible. But Orpha is in the Bible. She was actually one of those. You know, Ruth and Orpha married sons of Naomi, Malon and Chilion... Remember that? And they all turned high hightailed it down to Moab, God's washpot. When they got down there, the whole outfit dies. Uh, Elimelech dies, Malon dies, Chilion dies. So what we've got in Ruth chapter 1 are three widows. One grieving, one cleaving, and one leaving. Three widows standing there in Moab crying their eyes out. Naomi, she's grieved about it. Uh, Ruth, she's cleaving, but then there's Orpha. She's leaving, and she walks off the pages of the Word of God back into spiritual darkness as far as we know. She died without Jesus and went to hell. The only woman in the Bible, Orpha. As far as some famous places in the Bible, there's a place by the name of Oreb. That's where Gideon killed the Midianite prince who had enslaved God's people for many years. And then over the New Testament, there's a very prominent place called the Mount of Olives. Boy, that was a place Jesus loved. The Bible tells us in Luke chapter number 21, verse 37. And in the daytime, he was teaching in the temple, and at night he went out in a boat in the mount that is called the Mount of Olives. You know, Jesus spent a lot of time down to the seashore, but I think he loved the mountains a little bit better. He stayed. He loved to go to the Mount of olives. And I thought about this. Look at this verse right here. And as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came unto him privately, saying, Tell us, Jesus, when shall these... Jesus has been talking about the end of the world. And there on the Mount of Olives, they said, Hey, tell us, Jesus, when shall these things be? And what shall be the sign of thy coming? Signs of the times are everywhere. And there from the Mount of Olives, Jesus broke down what was going to happen at the end of time. And guess what? It's from the Mount of Olives, the Lord Jesus Jesus ascended back into heaven. What a great, a great place. You know, most of what I found this week, most of the words in our Bible that begin with the letter O are either the name of places or the name of people. But never fear, as you well know, I have found enough words in our Bible to string together a message. So let's get started. The first great Bible word that you and I, need to be familiar with is the word omnipotent. Now, I want to show it to you in the Bible because in Revelation chapter 19, now in verse number 1 down through verse, verse number 6, we have what is known in the Bible as the four hallelujahs. Oh, brother. You talk about preaching, man. I mean, John's got a vision. he got a glimpse of what heaven. In verse number 1, after these things, I heard a great voice of much people in heaven. Guess what? When John saw that crowd gathered around the throne in heaven, guess what? He saw you and he saw me there. What were we doing? We were shouting, Hallelujah! By the way, that one word, Hallelujah, that's the same in every language. You pronounce it the same way in every language. Hallelujah. Man, they're just going. They're having a a fit up there in heaven. Hallelujah. Look at verse 1. They were saying, Hallelujah for salvation. Boy, we ought to shout, Hallelujah for salvation. There's a Hallelujah for salvation. Look at verse 2 and 3. There's a Hallelujah for condemnation. Look at verse 2 and 3. For true and righteous are the judgments. And He's judged the great whore which did corrupt the earth. With her fornication and then the blood of his servants at her hand. And again, they said, Hallelujah. And her smoke rose up. Hallelujah for salvation. Hallelujah for condemnation. Look at verse 4. Hallelujah for the one that's sitting on the throne. I'm calling that one the Hallelujah for occupation. Aren't you glad the heavenly throne is not unoccupied tonight? Aren't you glad there's one sitting up there on the throne tonight? And he's still fresh and new. He's got all power. Brother, he's not, he's not a nervous wreck. He's not wondering what he's going to do with this crazy world because it's just, it's just in chaos. No, sir. He's on the throne and all the people are saying, Hallelujah! For salvation. Condemnation. Occupation. But then I like this when look at verse 6. There's the Hallelujah for domination. Because they're shouting hallelujah. You know why? Look at that last phrase. For the Lord God. And then there's that word. Omnipotent reigneth. You know, it's only mentioned one time in the Bible. You say, well, preacher, why are you going to make a big deal out of it? Because I tell you what, that is an important word for you and for me. There's a couple of other words that sounds like it. Omnipotent. And then we got the word omniscient. Then we've got the word omnipresent. And all those words are used to describe God. That phrase, omni, that prefix, omni, it's a Latin word, and it means all. So whatever we're told, if if he's omnipresent, he's all of something. If he's omniscient, he's all of something. If he's omnipotent, he's all of something. Now, what does all that mean? Well, let me just say this. First of all, when we think about that word uh, omniscient, that means this. God knows all. You know something? God has never had to go to school. He's never had to be taught anything. Nothing's ever occurred to God because God is all wisdom and He's all knowledge. You know, God's never had to say this before. Oops. You know, God's never had an uh oh moment. You ever had an uh oh moment? I mean, God's never had that. You know why? I'll tell you why. He is all wise. He's all wise. Look at this verse right here. It says this. It, it, this is it. His understanding is infinite. That word infinite means without boundaries, without limits. I mean, his understanding is without limits. Look at this one right here. Job 37, verse 16. Dost thou know the balancing of the clouds, the wondrous works of him? Notice now, which is perfect in knowledge. God knows Everything. I thought about this. You know what? God knows how many, how many hairs you got on your head. Now, for some, that ain't too hard. But for some, that's a whole lot. But God knows. What about this? God knows the names of all the stars and the galaxies and the constellations. God knows what you and me are going to say before we even say it. He's all-wise. He is omniscient. He's omnipresent. That means He's all-present. Did you know something? There is no place where God is not. Everywhere you and I go, God is already there. He is present everywhere and absent nowhere. We have great verses in our Bible that teach us that God is everywhere. What about this one right here? One of my favorite verses in the Bible. The eyes of the Lord are in every place. Beholding the evil and the good God is everywhere. Amen. Let me read these verses, Psalms 139. I'm just going to read them. Whither shall I go from thy spirit? Whither shall I flee from thy presence? If I ascend up into heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the othermost parts of the sea... Even there shall thy hand lead me, and thy right hand shall hold me. God is everywhere. Look at this verse, Job 34, verse 21. For his eyes are upon the ways of man, and he seeth all his going. I'm telling you, God's there, friend. Listen, you may be sitting in a clinic getting ready to get the worst news of your life. You may be struggling in a conflict, not knowing what your next move is, what you're going to do. You may be standing in a cemetery saying goodbye to a loved one, but I got good news for you. God is right there because there is nowhere that God is not. He is omni. He's all present. Well, what's that omnipotent mean? Well, it means something about all. Omni, and then notice this word, Potent. That means God is all-powerful. He has all power. Can I tell you this? They ain't, excuse my English, nothing too hard for our God to do. God can do anything. Look at Job 42, verse number 2. I know, Job said, I know that thou canst do anything. Luke one thirty seven, the Bible said, For with God nothing shall be impossible. Ephesians 1.19, And what is the exceeding greatness of His power to us who believe according to the working of His mighty power? God is all power. Ephesians 3.20, Now unto him that is able to do exceedingly and abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power. God has all power. Can I tell you something? There's no, there's no person. There's no prayer. There's no problem. There's no place. Let me back up and say this. There's no person too hard for God to redeem. There's no prayer too hard for God to render. There's no problem too hard for God to resolve. There's no place too hard for God to revive. Our God can do anything. You know why? I'll tell you why. He's got all power. Don't you ever forget, God is omnipotent. Buddy, when we reach the end of our limits, God will never reach the end of His. God has all power. He is omnipotent. Amen. All powerful. You believe that? Say amen. amen. That's a good Bible word. Tuck that in the way. Ugh. We got another one. Not only the word omnipotent, but what about the word obedience? The word obedience occurs 152 times in the Bible. Some of the synonyms for the word obey or obedience are these. If you obey, you comply, you execute, you observe, you surrender, you perform, you submit, you follow. Now let me stop and tell you you something. You know why we're saved? Because of obedience. Now wait a minute. Not our obedience. His obedience. Can I show you a good verse? Watch this verse right here. For as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. Right there? That's Adam. He disobeyed God. And when Adam disobeyed God, it plunged the whole of humanity from the lofty heights of innocence to the depths of depravity. That's right. One man's disobedience made us all sinners. But it continues, so by the obedience of one... That's Jesus. Many shall be made righteous. What a great verse. I remember years ago when Brother Zeno preached this message. Adam got us in. Jesus got us out. (laughs) That's what that verse is. Adam got us in a mess. But thank God because of the obedience of Jesus. Jesus got us out of that mess. I'm glad that I know him tonight. Jesus was obedient. And then God expects obedience from us. In fact, everything in the Christian life hinges upon our willingness to obey the Word of God and to do the will of God. Let me stop and say that when you and I obey God, when there's obedience in our life, it sets off a chain of good events in our lives. I want to say this. Good things happen to us as we obey God. All the power and all the promises and all the provisions of God are at our disposal as we obey God. Now, I want to show you this verse, see if you agree with this. Look at these verses right here. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor thy father and thy mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that by day, that it may be well with thee and that thou mayest live long on the earth. Now, listen, the, the key of that is obeying. And, and the Bible said that if children will obey their parents, good things will happen in their life. I got to thinking about this. You know something? The reason that I hadn't pickled my liver with alcohol is because I obeyed my mom and daddy when they told me not to drink. The reason that I hadn't fried my brains on bad drugs, and I ain't got much of one to fry, but the reason I ain't fried my brain on ba- bad drugs and I'm not in some padded rubber room tonight, not even knowing I'm in the world, is because I listened to my mom and daddy when they told me, don't you do drugs. The reason that I've never been shot in a shootout at a bank trying to rob the bank is because I listened to my mom and my daddy when they told me not to steal. Now, how many of you will agree with me when I make this statement? A person, a child that listens to her parents, it tends to add, they tend to establish some principles in their life that lead to longevity in life. If you agree with that, would you say amen? Amen. Man, I've been saved a lot of problems in life because I obeyed my mama and I obeyed. My daddy, let me just tell you something. How much more when we obey God does it seem, tend to establish patterns in our life where God can put his blessings on us and God can bless our lives? I mean, there's good things that happen to us when we obey God. Isaiah 119, if we be willing and obedient, we shall eat the good of the lamb. I don't know all that's implied in that phrase, eating the good of the lamb, but look right here, I like it. I don't know what it means, but I like it. What about you? The key is willing and obedient. Look at this verse, Jeremiah 7, 23. But this thing I commanded I them, saying, Obey my voice, I'll be your God, and you shall be my people, and walk in all the ways I've commanded you, that it may be well, it may be well unto you. Can I tell you, I don't know all that's implied in that, but I like the sound of that last phrase. Well unto you. Good things happen in our life. Deuteronomy 11, verse 26 and 27. Behold, I set before you this day a blessing and a curse. A blessing if you obey the commandment of the Lord your God, which I command you this day. Good things happen. God gives us blessings when we obey Him. First Peter 1:14. As obedient children, not fastening yourselves according to the uh, former lust and your ignorance. Man, God wants us to obey Him, to be obedient children. But wait a minute. The Equal, and opposite of that is true as well. The, the, the opposite of, of obedience is rebellion. And when we rebel against God, oh, I'm telling him, it sets off a chain of bad events in our life. When we rebel against God, we, we forfeit and we lose the blessings on, on our life that should be ours, that could be ours. Look at this. If you be willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. That's positive. Next verse. But if you refuse and rebel... God said, I'm going to wear you out without an inch of your life. If you refuse and rebel, you shall be devoured with the mouth of the sword, uh, with, a, with a, uh, the sword of, of his mouth, uh, because the Lord, Lord has spoken it. Look at this, Deuteronomy 28, 28, 18, 28, 15. It shall come to pass thou art not hearken. Under the voice of Lord thy God, to observe to do all of His commandments and His statutes when I commanded that all these curses shall come upon thee and over I don't know what all that means, but I don't like the sound of that. How do I stay out of that mess? I obey God. How do we get blessings upon our life? We obey? I wonder what would happen if one service, everybody came in here and obeyed God. What would heaven would come down and glory? would fill our soul. There's the word omnipotence. There's the word obedience. Here's another good Bible word you need to be acquainted with. That's the word ordinance. Ordinance. Now, what in the world does that mean? Well, it's found 54 times throughout the Word of God. Basically, Basically, it's an Old Testament word. 45 of the 54 times that it's found in the Bible is in the Old Testament. And sometimes in the Old Testament, the word ordinance was used to describe... The Sun, the Moon and the stars. God called them mine ordinances. Look at this verse. these are good verses. Going back to Israel. God, you know there's a lot of people that says, "God is through with the Jew. You ever heard that before? God, was it Herbert W. Armstrong that Worldwide Church of God that said that God has replaced the Jews with America? Boy, I tell you, I sure hate if he's done that. Boy, did he mess up. God's not through. With the Jew. Not by a long shot. Don't you think God's wrote them off? Because the Bible says this, Thus saith the Lord which giveth the sun for a light by day, and the ordinances, there it is, of the moon and the stars for a light by night, which divideth the sea with the waves thereof war. The Lord of hosts is His name. God said, if those ordinances... The sun, the moon, and the stars depart from before me, saith the Lord, then the seed of Israel shall also cease from being a nation before me forever. God said the sun, the moon, and the stars have got a better chance of falling and never doing their thing again than for Israel to cease being a nation. <laughs> Thank God for the Jew. Can I tell you something? Our Savior was a Jewish born Savior. Our Bible. Is a Jewish written book. Boy, we are in great indebtedness. We owe a great indebtedness to the Jewish nation, the nation of Israel. I'll never badmouth that crowd. I, I'm on their side because when you get on their side, you're on God's side. God said they're going to last forever. I don't know how I got off on all that, but the ordinances. Most of the time that phrase, that ordinance is used in, in the Old Testament, is used in conjunction with the Passover. God called the Passover, mine ordinance. Look at this verse right here. And the Lord said unto Moses, this is the ordinance of the Passover. There shall no stranger eat thereof. God never wanted his people to forget the Passover. So God established an ordinance. But in the New Testament, the word ordinance means something entirely different. He isn't talking about the sun and the moon and the stars and the galaxy. He isn't talking about the Passover. In in, In the New Testament, the word ordinance means observances. In other words, we know there are two ordinances in the New Testament. There's baptism and there's the Lord's Supper. Now, there are some people who say there are three ordinances in the New Testament. There's baptism, the Lord's Supper, and foot washing. And there are foot-washing Baptist churches. Now, I disagree with that, and I'll tell you why I disagree with it. Because you never find it in the book of Acts. Going forward in the rest of the New Testament, you never find the church, the saints, washing each other's feet. Now, there is a reference talking about a widow indeed. And it says this about her well reported of. boy now a widow indeed was when their, when her husband died, a widow indeed was a, a widow didn 't have any kin people, so the church took her in and took care of her financially. She was a widow indeed now, if she had nephews or or other people in her family, that was the family 's responsibility, but a widow indeed was a, a person, a lady who di- her husband died, she had no other kinfolk, she was taken under the care of the church, and he 's right about that well reported of for a good word if she brought up children if she have lodged strangers if she has washed the saints feet and then it says this if she have relieved the afflicted i think the indication there is she is washing the feet of those who cannot wash their own feet she is washing the feet of those who are sick and on the bed of affliction. And she goes in and she bathes them. She takes care of them. Foot washing is not an ordinance in the New Testament church. It's not there. You can't find it going forward in the book of Acts, throughout all the epistles. It's not there. So, excuse me, we ain't going to do it. And all God's people, head, amen. But, but, but baptism and the Lord's Supper is ordinances in the church. Both of those ordinances picture the death and the burial and the resurrection of our Savior. Every time we meet together and have the Lord's Supper, what we're saying is this, Jesus Christ died for me. Jesus shed his blood. Jesus was buried. Jesus rose again. Every time you watch somebody get baptized, right there in that bapt- baptistry, we're watching a picture of the gospel. They're buried. They're, they're, they're dead and they're buried. But they don't stay down there. They're, they rise again from the, from the... They're a picture of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. So there we have the word omnipotence, the word obedience, and the word Ordinance. And we got one final one. I knew you knew it was going to get to this one. The word. Poof, <laughs> shut up. The word offering. Listen to this. The word offering, or some form of it, appears 1,097 times in the Bible. Now, of course, in the Old Testament, we have the offering of of animals, bulls and lambs and goats and turtle doves, among other things. But in the New Testament, we find that God's Son, the Lord Jesus, was the one offering that did away with all of the other offerings. Here's what the Bible said about the offering of Jesus. So Christ was once, and there's the word, offered to bear the sins of many. And unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time, Without sin unto salvation, he was offered to do what? Bear our sins. So Jesus, as God's offering, took our sin upon him, and he bore our sins in his body, though he had never sinned. When he went to Calvary, he was, he was God's offering for sin. And by his offering, he did away with all the other offerings in the Old Testament, because we read in Hebrews 10, 13, It must be another verse. But there is a verse in Hebrews chapter 10 that says this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins, sat down forever. At the right hand of God. In that Old Testament tabernacle, those priests never sat down. They were constantly man. They were constantly working, offering up, killing animals. They were constantly offering incense. They were constantly uh, man doing things around. They never sat down. But Jesus, after he'd offered one sacrifice for sin, there it is. But this man, speaking of, after he had offered, there's that word again. Offered one sacrifice for sins. How long? Aren't you so glad you didn't have to drag some old cow up the road with you tonight? Can you imagine what our parking lot would look like if everybody had to drink a bullock with him to church? Can you imagine the stench and the smell of what would go on around here? Aren't you glad? The Bible said he did it forever. And after he did it, he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Thank God for our offering, the Lord Jesus. And by the way, since he offered... We should offer. He gave himself as an offering for us. We should give ourselves as an offering to him. And that's the reason we read that. I fooled you on that one. You thought I was going to talk about money, didn't you? That's when we get to the T for tithing. (laughs) Romans 12, verse 1. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, you present your body. Let me use a good word for present, that you offer. Your bodies, a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is the very least thing you can do. It's your reasonable service. He goes on to say, Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So there we have it. Word number one is what? You got it. Boy, You were, you're with me tonight. Word number one, you bunch of cheaters, you're going to look up on the screen now. Word number one is? Word number one is? Word number two? Word number three? Number four? Great words of our Bible that begin with the letter O. Let's bow our heads. Father, thank you for these good